Why do we do good and avoid evil? Who defines good and evil anyways? And why atheists should not be good people? I'm Avi Cohen. I'm Matti Cohen. And this is Jewish Thought Flow. Hi, and welcome to a brand new edition of Jewish Thought Flow. This is your host, Avi Cohen. This week's episode is kindly sponsored by Jewish Thought Flow, taking ideas to places nobody seems to care since last year. This week, we will again be discussing morality versus religion. And what we mean again by that question is what is compelling our actions? Is it religious belief or is it a sense of morality? And can those two coincide and coexist? So last week, we investigated the route that perhaps there's a separate thing called morality and a separate thing called Hashem's commands. And they're not necessarily the same thing. And we had a broad spectrum of views ranging from maybe Hashem's commands can go against morality, or perhaps Hashem, being as he's a perfect moral being, his commands will always coincide with morality. But last week, we only investigated the avenue that perhaps morality is a standalone thing that Hashem has to coincide with. So just to clarify, the definition of morality that we're dealing with is not good and evil or, or anything like that, because that's incredibly difficult to define what's good and what's evil. So the definition we're using is a differentiation of actions between those distinguished as proper and those that are improper. In other words, there's going to be something distinguishing something as good and something distinguishing something as bad. So we're not going to go ahead and define what's good and bad. We're going to define what is that thing that's distinguishing it, and then we can know what you should and shouldn't do. So I think, yeah, a simpler way to do is should or should not do. That's the most basic definition of morality, because when a person calls somebody else immoral, what they're trying to say is you should not have done that. Objectively, that was something that should not be done. It's not something that I didn't like. It's something that should not be done by a human. Or a moral act is something that should be done by a human. And in order to define what should and should not be done, we offered a theory called consequentialism, which comes from the word consequences. In other words, you look at what comes out of your actions. When you do certain actions, it can have certain results. Are those results pleasurable? Are those results desired? Or are they not desired? Now, based on whether they're desired or not, we'll define what you should should and should not be doing. Now, within that, we can actually bring a bit of a, a, a further distinction between personal satisfaction and a, uh, a tzibor or a communal, a communal satisfaction. satisfaction. In other words, when we're looking at the consequences of something, we want to know, is it good or bad? So we can look, well, does it bring pleasure to me? Or we can look, does it bring pleasure to the community, even if it's not so pleasurable for me? So now, in general, if you think of a person... Let's say, let's say me, let's say I tell you that when I decide what actions I should and should not do, I look at the consequences towards myself. In other words, am I going to be happy by doing this or am I going to be sad? Am I going to make money off this or am I not? Generally, we'd assume that that person is selfish, right? So that does not seem to be the innate sense of morality that most people have when they talk about morals. Right. So a good example would be um, an individual killing somebody he doesn't like or killing a rival or stealing. So you can live your whole life and make it off very nicely by doing what people would consider immoral acts. However, as a society, a society that functions that way would be worse off as a society. So that's oh, Sorry, one, one can make the argument that living in such a society where, let's say, if I do that and I create the society where people are killing people off personal pleasure, that'll actually end up hurting me. And therefore, the personal pleasure is kind of based on this communal pleasure. Well, I'm sure we can find plenty of examples where immoral leaders lived out their nice, merry life and died um, in satisfaction, despite living in a society where um, 
immoral acts were prevalent merely because they were in a position of power. So I don't think you could say as a rule that pursuing personal as opposed to communal uh, desires will end up bad for you. However, you could say in general it is best to act, what is it called, the golden rule that do not unto others what you would not want done unto yourself, right. which basically ensures the most amount of desired living for the most amount of people, which would be consequentialism. Right, so consequentialism in regards to communal aspects is generally referred to as utilitarianism, which is doing actions which you think will be best for the country. Yeah, so to separate, so for example, um, when I was in Yeshiva in Israel, we had Ben Shapiro of the Ben Shapiro Show, which is, you know, uh, we're, I think we're number two behind them for most popular Jewish shows uh, on podcasts. Um, so he, he said that he likes to make utilitarian arguments. What does that mean? It means every time you're arguing for a specific action to be done or to not be done, one has to argue why it's better for society for certain goals. So, for example, he was talking about um, same-sex marriage. And he wanted to argue from a utilitarian point as opposed to a religious point. So a religious point would say it's wrong because it's wrong. Utilitarianism would say it's wrong because it does not increase procreation. So a government should not be funding marriage, which doesn't help promulgate the species because that's what a government wants to do, increase the population or continue the population. Same-sex marriage, as we know, cannot create kids. Therefore, it does not help the population go forward. So that was his argument for a utilitarian argument for not sanctioning or not government-sanctioned same-sex marriage. Um, so that's what utilitarian, ar utilitarian argument is. So that was all based on consequentialism, which is looking at the consequences of the action. There's another theory which we kind of touched upon briefly, which is just this innate sense of morality, which seemed to be um, kind of touched upon by different philosophers. Where so you I think have Christopher this... Hitchens said that, like, people just, they, you, you know what's right, you know what's wrong. Yeah, and I think Albert Einstein was also ha halfway going along this, this right, way. He called it decency and sympathy and kindness. Which is something that I think we can all intuit. Like, if somebody, you know, murders an innocent, you know, baby or something, I think basically every single person who I can think of would say that that's, that's wrong. And if you ask him why is it wrong, well, it's, it's just wrong. There's a sense of of morality and it's, sorry it's very interesting because people say well like oh different societies have different sets of morals so you can't say there's an innate sense of morality so it's true and not true so it's true that different societies define different actions as being moral or immoral however the basic definition of morality is universal so terms such as unjust is understood by a human to be wrong cruelty is always understood to be wrong Murder is always understood to be wrong. What is defined as murder, what is defined as cruel, what is defined as unjust switches by society and by uh, era. Right, so you'll have societies where, for example, as a friend of ours pointed out this morning, they would sacrifice their children and they'd have a big celebration over it. Now, if you ask them, is that unjust, is that cruel? They wouldn't say, yeah, it's cruel, but I'm celebrating either way. They'd say, no, it's, it's for the gods. It's, it's, uh, it'll make everybody better. Everybody's going to be happy about it. It's just a baby. They'll explain why it's not cruel, why it's not unjust. They won't say, yeah, I'm cruel, I'm unjust. Even if you think of the most atrocious people in history, you think about, let's say, the Nazis, right? Or Hitler, right? So he wrote a whole book explaining his philosophy explaining why it's best for the country, it's best for the most amount of people to get rid of these um, these weak links of society, so to speak. Yeah, we're probably going to do a separate podcast on this, but I have a theory that the only real evil person, personally, is a psychopath. Because a psychopath doesn't care what's right or wrong. It's not that he doesn't understand it's cruel, 
is that he doesn't care. Cruelty does not speak to him as a problem. He's missing that innate sense of morality, um, which is why he might be the only evil person. Everybody else is just has evil ideas, but they themselves are still trying to follow a moral code. Right. So then the question would be, where does this exactly come from? Um, where does this innate sense come from? So it's possible we're just born with it, that over years and years of uh, living amongst humans, we kind of develop this natural sense of sympathy, um, which may be tied into consequentialism, may not be. Uh, it doesn't exactly so much matter where it comes from. We just have this sense. And the question is, is that enough to lead us in the shoulds and shouldn'ts of our lives? Right. I mean, is that enough to establish an objective morality that you can objectively say you should do that or you should not do that? Can one look at a Nazi and say, you shouldn't have done that, you are immoral, or can he not? Now, one of the differences between this innate sense of morality and pure consequentialism would be the case of uh, people who rely on society for their life. So special needs um, or elderly people or very sick people, right, who are not going to recover. So all those people are a burden on society. Yet everybody agrees that it would be wrong well, not everybody agrees, but I think a normal sense of morality at this point in this time of, 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 of humanity, of civilization, that killing out special needs people would be evil. Even though one can make a very easy utilitarian argument how it'll be best for the good of society as all overall if we knocked out those who are, let's say, parasites of society. And you're already having in many European countries where – well. I well, they wouldn't go for outright murder, quote-unquote. They would go for abortion of if they're able to sense uh, in the womb that the baby is going to come out special needs or any form of deformity, they would abort it, which, they're, you know, obviously the claim is not murder because that, again, goes to what we said before, that nobody wants to be cruel. Nobody wants to murder. So I say, yeah, we're killing it in the womb. That's not considered murder. So we do see that this innate sense of morality sometimes will clash with utilitarianism, um, and often the utilitarianism will, will kind of overcome and change the innate sense as we see that different societies have this different innate senses. Uh, and we're going to get into that a little bit more later on. So then in last podcast, we went into three Jewish views. Taking this assumption of a separation between morality and Hashem's commands, we had three different views, each one kind of going on in, in terms of, of uh, radicalism. Let's just call it. Gradations, right? That each one was getting more and more. Uh, let's say, uh, less and less religious and more and more huma uh, uh, humanity-based, um, so, you know, like, humanism. So the first one was everything – this is the orthodox view. Um, we quoted from Rebbe Lichtenstein. Everything Hashem says to do must be moral even if we don't see how or why, right? So if Hashem said it, it's got to be moral because, again, we're still defining Hashem's words and actions as separate from morality – but they will always concur in this way of viewing it because Hashem is a perfect moral being. Right, and let's just plug that into both both views we had. So either consequentialism, either whatever Hashem says will lead to the best society, or it will match that innate sense of morality. Now, if we talk about the Akedah, right, so it doesn't seem to match the innate sense of morality, but he would argue that if we understood all of the different variables and everything that was in play, if we had the same, let's say, the viewpoint of Hashem, we would understand why even for us, that would be innately moral. In a similar manner to killing, let's say, a terrorist, even though that's murder, is innately moral, even though it's it's murder. So, so too with that kid, we'd understand why it's moral. So that would be the most, let's say, the most firm version of separating morality from Hashem's commands. The second version kind of is a, a, a spin-off of that, which is, it's a, something held by Ben Shapiro, you'll hear a lot on, on the Ben Shapiro show, plug, um, where he says that everything that Hashem does is moral, 
but it has to fit our understanding of moral. So we can redefine parts of Tyre or say parts of Tyre only apply to that generation, not this generation, based on this innate sense morality or the consequentialist state of morality. And we can thereby redefine Tyre, re-understand the mitzvah um, to match that morality. So that's not saying that Hashem knows better than us in morality. And therefore, even if we don't understand it, we have to assume he's correct. It's saying that Hashem notion of morality will perfectly correlate with our notion of morality and therefore we have to understand the Torah in that sense. So it's still maintaining the authority of Torah. It's just interpreting it vis-a-vis our understanding of morality. And again, I assume the notion is that that's what Torah wants us to do. That's one of the tools of interpretation. And now the biggest shift from the first step to the second step, from Rav Lichtenstein to the second position, is Rav Lichtenstein says that our morality is always going to be secondary to whatever Hashem says. In other words, Whatever we think, we might not think that kid is moral. We might not think it's moral. We have to know it is moral even if we don't think it is. Now, this is saying, no, if we don't think it's moral, then it must be Hashem meant something else. He must have meant what we mean. Now, the big shift there is that we're assuming that what we think is moral is correct, even though we've seen that our morality has shifted so much through the ages. Now, that seems to be a jump which is very problematic to anybody who can knows the history of, of basically morality of how different societies view morality, you see the shift, and now the next step is going to show how, by taking that step, now you can jump to crazy, crazy uh, heights. Right, so the last one was a reform rabbi. He said, everything we do must be moral, which sometimes must override Hashem's command, meaning maybe even Hashem doesn't know what's best. We know what's best, and therefore sometimes we have to override Tyra. Even if Tyra says this, Tyra has a clause in it that if you feel or you have the notion that it's moral, you get to override the Tyra itself. So those were the opinions that we brought in last week's episode. And again, it was all running with the premise that morality is something separate than what Hashem says, meaning it's not by definition what Hashem says. Rather, what Hashem says generally correlates, always correlates, or rarely correlates with this thing called morality. But saying this is not so simple. You see, there are problems with saying that there's a separate morality outside of Hashem's command, and that morality could be uncovered by following this theory called consequentialism. The first problem is a practical problem, which is as follows. Human beings are not that smart. We don't have access to that much information. We don't know the actual result of policies, as one can see time and time again as policies fail and fail and fail. So when you're talking about consequentialism, which is you're trying to prescribe actions that will meet a certain goal, you have to look at the human track record of how good have we been at creating those, achieving those goals based on actions. To date, we do not have a great civilization. We have relatively great civilizations. We have never created utopia. In fact, more often than not, we've created absolute hells based on ideas of consequentialism. So the practical problem is, how in the world are is a human supposed to calculate the effect of policies in order to ensure that it reaches those consequentialist goals that you're trying to achieve? And so it's actually very interesting. This topic of the failure of humans from an atheist pers- atheistic perspective to be able to create a utopian societies, we're actually going to be having a podcast soon where we're going to be interviewing a member of the community who has a lot of information on this. He doesn't have any PhD, so if that kind of thing turns you on, then uh, you might not be interested. But he's an incredibly smart person with a lot of information. But this question is really only a question if you think that consequentialism could come up with these 
this morality from an atheistic perspective. In other words, that I'm starting from consequentialism and coming up with the morality, as opposed to saying morality can be explained by consequentialism. So Rav David Lichtenstein would say, you're right, humans would Rav, not be able Rav to figure it out. Not Rav David Sorry, Rav Lichtenstein, excuse me. So he would say that, you're right, we're not able to come within ourselves. That's why Hashem is telling us how to create the utopian society. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not there, that there isn't an objective way to create utopian society, and that is what we are following. It just means that Hashem is giving it there. Right, which means morality itself is a standalone. There's such a thing as evil, and there's such a thing as good. And Hashem's the best guide through the Torah to getting us towards evil or good. But there's a problem with saying that. There's two theological problems with saying that. The first is motivation. What is my motivation to do Torah mitzvahs? Classically, we would have thought the motivation to do Torah mitzvahs is to serve God, right? The ultimate uh, aspect of humanity is to serve and connect to God. However, if you're saying morality, the should and shouldn't of our actions is actually something separate from God, and God is merely a helping hand to get there, then ultimately what you're saying is that the motivation for my actions, the should, and my abstaining from actions, the shouldn't, is actually in pursuit, in pursuit, it's pursuant of good and evil, not serving God. You see, because it's not God we're serving. It's the notion of morality. It's the notion of good and evil. That's what's causing the shouldn't shouldn't. God is merely the flashlight that's helping us get out of this dark tunnel and figuring out where to go. Right. In other words, if we somehow had a, a incredibly smart person who was able to figure out how to create the best society and we didn't need Hashem to tell us, then we'd be doing that. We wouldn't need Hashem. Hashem is just telling us how to create a perfect society. And that's why we're doing it. Because we're like, oh, great. We got a God telling us what to do, how to create a perfect society. And I want a perfect society. It's not I want to serve Hashem. It's I want to get a great society, and Hashem's telling me how to do it. It's even stronger than I want. If you're saying morality is outside of God, you're saying that doing the Torah is not right and wrong. Right and wrong is right and wrong. The Torah is just the best way to get there. So in fact, the ultimate arbiter of truth in the world is not God, it's morality. Which brings us to problem number two. In order to suggest that Hashem is merely guiding us along to this innate thing, this objective thing called morality, is to suggest that somehow morality and Hashem are two separate things. So when the Rambam says that all of existence is only found because of the truth of God's existence, the first creator, you have to make an addendum to that and say, well, not all existence, because morality actually pre-existed God's creation. Because God's creation followed a moral code. God's Torah followed a moral code, which means... Crazily enough, since God preceded the world, but morality did not come after that, then morality preceded the world, which means the notions of right or wrong within the physical universe somehow existed before any such physical universe exists. Okay, so maybe expound on that point a little bit. Just just flush it out a little bit more. So I'll give you an example, because again, they're talking about God. Can God be evil or good? Because again, they're separating morality as outside of God's actions, and God has to follow this idea of morality. So I'll read you the quote again from Rav Lichtenstein. He said as follows, By virtue of his very essence, certain things not only shall not, but cannot be willed by him. God and moral evil are simply incompatible. Now for two things, I'm going to burp. <clears throat> for two things to be compatible, I had to do it, I guess nothing I could do, I don't want to pause. For two things to be compatible, or incompatible, they have to be disparate things. So he's defining God and moral evil as incompatible because they're two separate genres. They're two separate domains. 
Now, the question I would ask, and I think he would answer, is as follows. Could God create a world where torture and pain is the purpose? Right? We have this phrase. Well, what's going on? <laughs> that was a really weird noise that came uh, out of your mouth. Look, you look, we asked if God can make a, a stomach pain. That's a purpose of torturing. <laughs> Too much energy drinks. Um, so we we say, like, when a God created the world, teva the nature of good is to do good. He desired kindness. Now, those phrases seem to imply that when God created the world, he did so following kindness. He did so following this notion of good, teva which means revelation would say, no, God cannot create a world where the purpose is torture. That's inconceivable because God is moral and torturing is evil. That means he holds that God is subscribing to a disparate set of rules called morality. Right. So, I, I mean, I, just to see if I understand, that doesn't seem to fit either one of our theories on where morality could come from. Because there can't be any consequences without a world. And if you're saying that Hashem created the world in order to fit with this morality, it can't be based on consequences because there wasn't a world when he created it. And it also can't be based on some innate human sense of morality. Because obviously, again, if there's no creation, there's no human sense of morality. So where is that morality that Hashem is basing it coming from? So I would say as follows, that those two ways are merely ways of discovering for a human to discover morality. They are not morality itself, right? The innate sense gives you an idea of what morality is. Kindness, cruelty, just, unjust. The actual morality, though, is that which you are innately feeling. So God is prescribing to that morality and then giving you the tools to figure it out based on your feels, your emotions. Yes. But the actual morality is separate from that. So I think intuitively most people would be able to feel that if there was no world and was no humans and it was just a Shem, that there wouldn't be a concept of just and unjust Really? I think it would. I think people would intuitively feel that for God to create a world and just torture humans would be evil. From the intuitive standpoint, from the feel standpoint, for sure. You would not think of an, a, a, a moral God as one who creates a world to torture its victims. In fact, I think that's what Revelation was protesting against. There's no way God could create a world like that. God is morally good. But that's the problem with this. You're saying that as if God wants to create a world and then he has to follow this handbook called good and evil. So you're saying there are three levels of existence. There's a Shem. And then there's good and evil, good and evil that he has to follow, which is kind of like Zaro, uh, what is it called? Uh, Zoroastrianism, I think it's called, um, where there's two beings, there's good and evil, and they're like separate powers. So here also you're saying there's God, and then there's good and evil, and God has to follow good and evil. To me personally, that sounds a lot like heresy. You're saying there are two existences responsible for everything. There's God, and then there's good and evil, which God has to follow. Right, and once and once you say that God created what is good and what is evil, then it again then becomes, it wouldn't matter right, what that, he created as good and what he then he can create anything good, good and evil, and you can't say God is God and moral evil are simply incompatible because moral evil is meaningless. God could have created um, anything to be morally evil or anything to be morally good, and that would just be what it was. So then you're basically just saying whatever God does is what God does. So that's a, you know it's a nonsensical statement unless you mean there's something called moral good and moral bad, but then you run into the other problem of well then how in the world are you saying that God is bound by those rules? So that's the theological problem with saying that God is moral. Okay, well, let me let me take that theory and change it a little bit to see if I can answer some of your questions and make it a little more palatable. Okay. So let's go back to our consequentialism, where all actions are either going to lead to more pleasure or more pain, right? Yeah. Let's say, yeah, Hashem doesn't have to, he can do whatever he wants. Right. He can create a world where pain is the purpose. He can create a world where pleasure is the purpose. 
But me personally, what should I be doing? I want to follow whatever's most pleasurable for me. So if God told me, go do something painful, I'd be like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what's pleasurable for me. So flush it out. What do you you say in terms of of commands? How does that relate to the overall theory of consequentialism? Okay, so from a religious perspective, I mean, I would say that, okay, what is Hashem doing? He is, he happens to be telling me, these are going to be most pleasurable for you. These are going to be most painful for you. Okay. It has nothing to do with the fact that God told me them. Anybody could have told me that this is going to be most pleasurable and this is going to be most painful. So now let's go back to the example you gave before. Let's say God created a world that is the purpose is to torture people. So I'd be like, yeah, Hashem could do that because he doesn't have to tell me to do what is most pleasurable or tell me what to do what's most painful. Right, because there's but, no evil or, or, or good by God. Right, but in terms of what I should and shouldn't be doing, everybody should be doing what's most pleasurable for them. And therefore, I wouldn't have to follow God in that sense. The only reason I follow God now is because it's most pleasurable for me. So we already pointed out the previous question of then I'd be servicing myself and not servicing God. But in terms of the second question of requiring morality and Hashem to be kind of two separate things which Hashem has to follow... So would you say that that answers that question? Yeah, because again, then you're not saying Hashem has to follow that. You're saying the human being. Well, you're defining morality as should or should not do, which fits with our definition. And you're defining should or should not do based on a pursuit of pleasure. Because again, humans are by definition pursuing self-good. Any free-willing being always pursues options which are best for them. And that's maybe a podcast for later, but if you put thought to it, you'll understand that even the best of our actions are ultimately self-serving. So... If that is morality, meaning should or should not do, tied back to pleasure, then perhaps, as you're saying, you can suggest that God can do whatever he wants, and he can tell us whatever he wants in the Torah, and the only reason why I'm following that is because ultimately it will be the best for me. So should or shouldn't do is defined as best for me. Therefore, maybe I don't even need a God, because even without the Torah, I can still try to live with what's best for me, and whatever actions happen to be the best for me would be the ones I should do, and the ones that are not the best for me would be the ones I shouldn't do, which would be consequentialism. Now, you're probably also suggesting that our innate sense of morality also fits what is ultimately best for me, maybe as an individual, maybe as a community, but ultimately best for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm having the extreme heartburn. <laughs> too much NOS. Yeah, too much NOS up in here. Um, so that brings us to our last point, which really really is our strongest point, which is as follows. Should or shouldn't do is the definition of morality. You may be correct that these set of actions will bring about the most pleasure. But why does that make it should or shouldn't do? Why should I pursue pleasure? Now you may say, well, it's smart to pursue pleasure. Every free-willing being wants to pursue pleasure. That's fine and dandy. But let's say I don't. Why should I? Why shouldn't I avoid pleasure? When you look a Nazi in the eye and you hold that the only purpose of human action is to derive self-benefit and pleasure, and that's the end goal, then you're not saying the Nazi is evil. You're not saying the Nazi shouldn't have done that. You're saying the Nazi cannot have pleasure because he did not follow a route that would bring him pleasure. And guess what? That doesn't make him that different than any one of us who also fail to follow routes that are going to bring us pleasure. The hedonistic American is also not pursuing a life that will get him the ultimate pleasure that following Tyra will. The same way the Nazi won't. Yet I don't think anybody would create the, would equate evil with Americans as he would with a Nazi. So again, if your pursuit is pleasure, where does the should or shouldn't come in? Well, so I would say that you should do something that's pleasurable is more of a 
naturally humans will. In other words, I am going to do what's most pleasurable for me. Okay, but why should I? Why am I evil if I don't? I'm not pursuing pleasure. Okay. So that's a good question. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good question. So I think that's a real point, is that should or shouldn't cannot be caused by anything within the creation. Because there's no way to apply a should or shouldn't to the world itself. Yes, certain actions will bring about certain consequences, but why should I care? Yes, murder will bring about a bad society, but why should I care? Why shouldn't I make a bad society? The consequence only gets you to a result. You cannot make me care about that result. You cannot say it's evil or not evil to pursue that result. Because all there is, is the action and the result. However, if you have a creator of the universe in the picture, a creator of reality, then he can inherently make a good and an evil. He can inherently say, these actions should, these actions shouldn't. So we're running out of time here, and we'll get more into that answer of why Hashem telling us what we should and shouldn't do actually answers all the questions we've been asking so far. We're going to be doing that in the next episode, along with all the questions that philosophers all the way back since Socrates have been asking on this religious perspective. That God himself is the one who's defining morality. Uh, I'm sorry we're going three parts with this. We might even go four parts with this. But it is such a crucial conversation because almost every question you're going to get as a religious person is based on this mistake, right? How could a moral god say to destroy a entire country with all its inhabitants? How could it say to destroy a Amalek? Isn't that immoral? Understanding that there is no such thing as morality without a god, logically, as we will pursue in the next episode, and as we already asked in this episode, there is no should or shouldn't if all that exists is physicality. Just like we don't say monkeys should or shouldn't do anything, so too if there's all that exists is the natural world, there is no should or shouldn't. There are merely consequences, but there's nothing compelling me to make to adhere to those consequences or not. And in the words of the famous philosopher, yeah, Peter Robinson from the Stanford Hoover Institute, so he has a beautiful quote. If an inner moral conscience is just another adaptive or evolved feeling in the human mind, like simple emotional urges, then no inherent reason exists to consider morality as over and above other urges. In other words, yeah, I do have an innate sense of morality. I do think murder is wrong. But you know what else I think is right? I think this feeling of pleasure that I get when I kill my enemy is right. I think the money I get when I rob from this guy, I like that feeling of pleasure. Why should I listen to one urge over the other? I'll say even stronger than that. Let's say you don't have an urge. Why should you care? Why can't you ignore ignore all your urges? What outside of the urges is compelling? Nothing. Therefore, I can ignore my urges. I can do whatever I want because all that exists is what I have in front of me. There is no should or shouldn't. Should or shouldn't is by definition external to the existence that it is because it's governing how that existence should run. If you don't have a governing body above that existence, then all you have is the existence itself. The existence itself cannot tell you what should or shouldn't be done. It can just tell you what will happen, but not should or shouldn't, which is a moral aspect. So to quickly recap what we came up with in this episode, in terms of morality, which you're trying to get outside of a religious perspective, the first question you can ask, if it's coming from an atheist, you can ask him, how in the world are you ever going to be able to define which actions are good and which actions are good are, are not good? 
if we've seen so many attempts from great thinkers fail, even the most advanced societies fail the hardest when they try to come up with these utilitarian societies. Another question you can ask is there's no reason why we should listen to this emotion of morality any more than any other emotion. Now, that might sound like a crazy statement. You might think, what do you mean? It's, it's moral. It's moral. Just think to yourself and try to really answer this question. Why should you do what's moral? Why should you not do what's moral if there's no God telling you what to do and what not to do? From a religious perspective, there's two further questions you can ask yourself. Firstly, if you're doing it in order to create pleasure or you're doing it to follow this innate sense of morality, what is God in your life? How is God in the picture? You're not doing it because God said to do it. You're doing it because he happened to reveal that that's the best thing for you. Or you're just following this night sense of morality. Where does God fit in in your life? And the second question from a religious perspective is that it seems to be that morality and Hashem are two separate entities. Where Hashem is following this code of good and evil which exists and predates any form of creation. Which means that's the reason why he created a good world is because he was following goodness. And the reason why he gave a tire that's good for us is because he's following goodness. The reason why he would never tell us to kill our children is because he's following goodness. Which implies that goodness and evil is something he is bound to. That's obviously theological prob uh, theologically problematic. And for our solution, we said that's why ultimately, and we'll get into this in the next episode, ultimately you have to say that the only way to set an objective should or shouldn't is if the creator of reality who created the concept should or shouldn't applied that concept to these actions. All right. Thank you so much for listening. If you got up to this point in the podcast, you are among a select few who did not stop after the first 15 minutes. Please like, share, subscribe, follow us on Facebook or like us on Facebook, Instagram, and anywhere else where you see podcasts. You know you won't get this deep thought anywhere else. I'm Avi Cohen. I'm Mati Cohen. And this is Jewish Thought Flow.